right, right, right after I was elected, I went to a, what they call a G7 meeting, all the NATO leaders. I was in, I was in the south of England, and I sat down and I said, "America's back." And Mitterrand from Germany, I mean from France, looked at me and said, uh, "said, you know, why, why, how, how long are you back for?" And I looked at him, and the, and the Chancellor of Germany said. What would you say, Mr. President, if you picked up the paper tomorrow in the London Times, and the London Times said a thousand people break through the House of Commons, break down the doors, two bobbies are killed in order to stop the election of the Prime Minister? What would you say? I never thought about it from that perspective. What would we say if that happened in another democracy around the world? I see dead people. No way. So, Uncle Joey is talking to dead people. He may not see them. Well, apparently he did. But he's talking to them now. Ha <laughs> ha. No way. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Paul. Back with another invigorating podcast. Welcoming you to Worldviews. I guess Uncle Joey has got quite the worldview going on there. Francois Mitterrand died back in 1996, and Joe's talking to him. <laughs> That's the fearless leader in the U.S. In fact, last night he went on quite the rant as well in response to a report that came out. He's a uh, he's a kindly old gentleman with a poor memory, and Joe took exception to that. See, that's the difference between having a worldview that comports with reality and one that is making it up as you go. For, I'm assuming, probably power reasons. Anyway, we talk about that type of thing here in contrast to God's perspective God's worldview and we've been studying about that here in the book of Romans for quite some time now today we're going to talk about trivial pursuit some of you played the game before used to be a big time uh, board game a few years ago we're going to talk about that today uh, well, not exactly about the game, but things that are relative to it here in Romans chapter 14 and verses 1 to 12. If you happen to have a Bible, then I would highly recommend that you get it out. In the meantime, I want to welcome some new followers that have joined since the last time that I was able to, to, to get on here and ramble for an hour. <laughs> and that's what sometimes I, I admit it. Sometimes it is somewhat uh, rambling, uh, kind of a, a, a rant, 
But that's okay. That's what makes this uh, interesting. Uh, Nothing is scripted here. You get all the faux pas and errors that go with it. (laughs) You know, sometimes things just don't go as planned, and that's okay. That's what makes this authentic. Yeah, but anyway, if you have a Bible, you might want to get it. And for those uh, new followers, there were three that uh, decided to join, uh, I I guess, anonymously, although they did provide pictures. One even, uh, an elderly man, thanks for joining, following. And then there was Sandra and uh, Moola, I guess that's how you pronounce your name. I believe you must be from England, judging by the patch on the flag. I think that's a flag we got here. Uh, welcome. I mean, there's plenty of people from England that tune in here, uh, fairly frequently. Welcome. Thanks for, for following. I hope this is beneficial to you and that you'll share it with others. Yes, we've been, uh, in the book of Romans, what we have called, uh, or what has been called the Christian constitution. I've been, uh, going through this, uh, for several months now laying a foundation of what Christianity really is. Not all of this garbage you see on the boob tube and in many of these so-called podcasts that get on Podbean and elsewhere, who don't even come here to the Bible, to, to the probably the grandest of all of the letters that the Apostle Paul ever wrote to get their sustenance when they talk about Christianity. They just kind of make it up on the fly. Well, we come back here and we're laying this foundation so that when we talk about the Uncle Joey's out there that uh, see dead people. Oops, hang on a second. They, they see dead people. I see dead people. <laughs> then we can say, uh, no, I don't think you did. And here's the reason why. God has given us the answer. Uh, to all of our problems, all the things that are you know, necessary for salvation. And if we ignore that, then we're out there doing our own thing. And we might as well just go ahead and watch that because it's not worth anything. A lot of people like to think that it is, but it's not. It's not going to get you anywhere. So anyway, we're in Romans chapter 14, and once again, we're talking about a trivial pursuit because the Apostle Paul here in our Christian conduct is chastising the weak and the strong, showing that there's different levels of maturity within the Christian church, within the Christian faith, and those who want to point fingers at each other because of certain things they've decided to latch on to, thinking this is somehow going to make them better or, or lesser Christians. In chapter 14, we start reading, and we're going to go all the way down to verse 12. If you got your Bible, got something incredible, uh, I'm reading from the ESV along with the NAS and the King James with my Greek text here in front of me, just in case we get ourselves in trouble. Uh, Paul says in uh, Romans chapter 14, verse 1, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes that he may eat, Anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? 
It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day better as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Uh, Then he says in verse 7, For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be both uh, might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. I call this, uh, you know, playing a trivial pursuit because you remember back in the day when uh, Trivial Pursuit was a was a was a big time board game. Everybody seemed to play it, and you had different categories and uh, uh, of questions, and you would uh, take turns answering so on and so forth. And this kind of tested your knowledge of the past, uh, whether it be game shows or sports or science or whatever. Uh, not necessarily criticizing each other, but at the end of the day, you know, whoever won could obviously criticize others saying, I'm smarter than you. (laughs) I know more about trivia than you do. The problem though, or by way of analogy here, is that we've got some of that kind of stuff that was going on in the Roman church at the time. And you know, when I was thinking about this, I was going, "Eh, let's kind of get back to what the apostle Paul had previously reminded these Roman Christians more than once about loving one another, not thinking more highly of themselves than they ought to think, uh, to not you know shun the lowly people that are in the church, maybe the less uh, benefited, they're less lucrative, they don't have great clothing or whatever. Uh, it reminded me of that because here Paul has come back and now he's reminding these Roman Christians again, hey, yeah, there is a difference between people within the church. Some are better off than others. Some are more spiritually mature than others. But the problem is some of these Christians were, well, looking down their long, pious noses at uh, at those that maybe were not as well off as they were, and vice versa. There were those that were weaker in the faith that were saying, hey, wait a second here. You shouldn't be doing this and shouldn't be doing that. And we kind of had a play going on here between those that were engaging in legalism and those who were kind of more the antinomian, those who were the little more liberal uh, or libertine. And Paul's saying, now, wait a second here. Uh, you guys can sit here and point your fingers at each other and kind of, you know, denigrate each other like, but hey, That's not what Christianity is about. Paul 
tells them openly here in verse 1, as for the one who is weak in faith. Now, some have thought, even in this whole passage, that Paul is almost becoming a, uh, a relativist. But when he says stuff like this, as for the one who is weak in the faith, and then he talks about those that are stronger, that uh, eat meat, and so on and so forth. Uh, clearly, the whole idea of Paul being a relativist kind of flies out the window. Paul is not being a relativist. Paul is simply saying, you know what, there are people that are not as mature in the faith as others might be, but then again, there are others with a big head uh, in the church. They may be spiritual, but because of their arrogance or pride or whatever, that has brought down that uh, that maturity a notch or two where it shouldn't be. So when Paul says, as for the one who's weak in the faith, welcome him. Yeah, don't, don't cast him aside. Don't put him on the back bench. Don't put him in the closet. Welcome him. Make him a part. Remember, he's a body part, just like everybody else. He may not be the heart. He may not be the head or the ears or the eyes or whatever, by way of analogy. Uh, but he's still a part of the body. Welcome him. He has something to contribute, uh, if not anything other than to be somebody who is going to be blessed by the gifts that you have. Paul had talked about that earlier, you know, in, in Romans chapter 12, about the, the gifts that we have in the church, and not everyone has the same ones. But he says, don't, don't welcome him into your, your presence to quarrel over opinions. Uh, the King James says, doubtful disputations. People who love to uh, have a dialogue uh, just to be critical, just to be uh, uh, mean and nasty about it. Uh, they focus on the minutia rather than on the main things, which the Apostle Paul has made clear from the beginning is the gospel. I've said before, you know, time and again when it comes to the the book of Romans, it is a clear presentation of the Christian faith rooted in the gospel, the good news. That's the main thing. But the problem is the Roman church, the church that Paul had highly commended, their faith is spoken of throughout the world. Uh, certain ones were focusing on the minutiae that trivial things over the opinions, the, uh, what they, what they want to say, dialogues, the conversations taking place almost in a, in a Greek way where we sit around and we, uh, quibble over words and, uh, what we think are the deep things of God that really have nothing to do with making a person mature. And Paul had even, you know, shared this with, uh, uh, Timothy later on in one of his letters, you know, about quibbling over certain words and the like. Now, that doesn't mean that we should not be careful in, in the things that we say, especially when it when it comes to the Christian faith. Our words matter. But when it comes down to being critical of someone who may not necessarily agree with our position on, say, it, it, you know, Paul's going to bring up eating uh, here as, as a classic example. That's where the buck stops. That's not really that important because he says one person here in verse, verse number two uh, believes that he may eat anything. 
And I hearken back to what uh, the experience that Peter shares or was recorded that happened to Peter back in, in Acts chapter 10. He's out on a journey. Uh, he's hungry. It says in Romans, or not Romans, in Acts chapter 10 and verse 9, Peter went up on the housetop at about the sixth hour to pray, probably about noon. It's lunchtime. And he became hungry. And he wanted something to eat. Obviously, there was nothing. But while they were preparing it, meaning those that were in his company, uh, he was there, what does he say here? Uh, Peter was uh, sojourning with a guy that was... uh, uh, with Cornelius and the like. Uh, while they were getting lunch together, maybe bologna sandwiches, who knows, uh, he falls into a, a trance. And a great sheet appears out of heaven. It descends down. And uh, on this sheet are all kinds of animals. Hey, Peter, here comes lunch. And Peter uh, is instructed Hey, Peter, get up. I know you're probably kind of feeling lowly here and hungry. Well, guess what? It's lunchtime. Get up, kill, and eat. Well, that Peter being the, the Jew that he is, he sees all this. He goes, uh-uh, no, 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 no. Wait, by no means, Lord. Here's talking to the Lord. No, I'm not going to receive this from you, even though... The Lord is going to clue him in here and say, this is not what you think it is, Peter. Uh, Lord, I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, what God has made clean do not call common. And he says this happened three times, and the thing was taken up in heaven. It doesn't say whether Peter ate it at all. I'm assuming he did because he had been corrected. Uh, This is a clear example of how many of the dietary laws that that were given in the the Old Testament. Oftentimes, I'll get critics of Christianity and say, well, do you 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 still eat shellfish and all this? They haven't read uh, Acts chapter 10. Uh, Yes, there were, there was dietary restrictions back in the Old Testament. Some of them, I'm not really sure why they were given the way they were, or even some of the things that uh, were outlined and the things that they could wear uh, because they were considered to be unclean as well. But along came this uh, removal of those strictures. God has cleansed. Uh, I know there are people today, both Christians and non-Christians, they like to make a big deal out of eating certain things. And it fits right in here with what Paul is instructing uh, these Roman Christians. He says there are going to be certain people that are going to eat anything. Those are considered to be the strong. Those are the ones that have been uh, accepting of what God has cleansed. And it's no longer common. So if you want to have a pulled pork sandwich as a Christian, that's okay. Uh, but the weak person eats only vegetables. Does this mean that the Apostle Paul was a carnivore? Probably. Probably the things that were considered in the Old Testament to be unclean are now clean, so he probably was one of those that was eating uh, certain things that previously were not so. 
And this is all in Jewish custom. But you know, there are going to be people that are going to be referring back to that in a legalistic fashion. And then once again, pointing their finger at the weak and saying, well, now wait a second here. If you really want to be strong, you need to be eating a pork sandwich. And they only say, no, 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 no. Only vegetables for me. Thank you. I think this would be the godly thing to do. You know, and I just want to say a word about legalism here. It's the antithesis of antinomianism. Uh, one is lawlessness. One is going to the ultimate extreme where you're almost making up your own rules and regulations that really have nothing to do with the spirit of the law because there's the letter of the law and there's the spirit of the law. But it reminds me of of, of an instance many years ago. <clears throat> there was a young lady who was uh, on her way to work and uh, her husband uh, happened to be a student at a Bible college. Uh, yes, that was me. And I remember her getting up and going to work. She worked during the daytime to kind of help uh, sustain us. We worked together on all of our education here. And uh, she worked as a nurse's aide at one of the local uh, retirement homes. And uh, she wore pants, white pants. She was a, a typical nurse. And one morning she was on her way to the car and the security on campus noticed her wearing pants. Umver! Shame, shame. And guess who got called into the dean's office? Moi. Yes, I had to give an answer as to why she was wearing pants and not a skirt or culottes or all that kind of stuff. And I told her, well, this was the accoutrements that she had to wear as a nurse. It is the uniform uh, uh, policy that uh, uh, was handed down by the, the nursing home itself. And there wasn't anything that I could do about it. Well, after we had that discussion, uh, I wasn't put on probation or suspended or anything like that. Everything was peachy wonderful and so on and so forth. But you know what? There are those types of things that happen both in, well, that was Bible college. That was many years ago. Uh, but they also happen in our churches. Uh, we don't drink. We don't smoke. We don't go with uh, we don't we don't drink, we don't chew, we don't go with girls who do <laughs> type of thing. And I'm going, what does that have anything to do with Christianity? I don't go to movies, I don't listen to rock and roll, I don't and it's like I don't, I don't, I don't, I it's it's a negative form of Christianity. Now I understand some things, yes. Some things can be sinful. Alcoholism's a bad thing. Uh uh smoking and all that, yeah, those are bad things. But you know, there are gonna be Certain Christians, I remember a, a story about uh, uh, Spurgeon. Uh, he was addicted to cigar smoke, uh, he, or uh, addicted to smoking cigars. And I, I sometimes think it just kind of boils down to what Paul says here in uh, Romans, you know, let the person be that's convicted about that, it, convinced in their own mind. Let God be the one that judges them, and we need to just live our Christian lives by grace and love and mercy and so on and so forth. Uh, Paul's going to tell us why here in a little bit. 
but before he gets there, he says, you know, the, the person who's doing all this eating of the vegetables and eating of the meat and stuff like that, let not one who eats despise the one who abstains, uh, you know, uh, looks at him in a way that is contrary and say, you know what, because you're not eating that pulled pork sandwich, you can't be a Christian or you're a bad testament. No, get out of here. That's nonsense. You know, whether you eat a pulled pork sandwich or not has nothing to do with the saving grace of God. You are still going to be saved based on that standard, and it's going to be by God's gracious and merciful sanctification that you mature anyway, whether you eat a St. Louis pulled pork sandwich or not. It's irrelevant. But there are going to be certain ones that Paul, he says, you know what, some of you people, you're despising them because they're, you know, they're, these person, are, they're abstaining from eating your pulled pork sandwich. But he says, and let not the one who abstains, the weaker vessel here, pass judgment on the one who eats. Well, see, once again, you're eating that pulled pork sandwich. That means you're out of lockstep with God. And that being the case, I just can't associate with you. And I'm going, okay, so we're going to play that game of trivial pursuit on the other end of the spectrum. But Paul says, don't go down that road because God has welcomed him. He's the one who's received him. He's the one that's accepted him. You know, and it's funny, the, the word here, for, you know, acceptance, you know, he's received beforehand. This goes hand in hand with God's election that took place before the foundation of the world even took place. God had already welcomed him, had accepted him. And it's it's almost ironic in a way because there are so many people think, you know, I've got to accept God in order to be a part of his family. I've got to accept his invitation, otherwise I'm not a part. That's not what that's not what the Bible's saying here. It says that God accepted him. You know, and sometimes I'll hear people say, you just gotta go accept Jesus. Yeah, you know, in order to be uh, what about him accepting you? Has that taken place? Well, if it hasn't taken place with Jesus, then it doesn't matter what you do. You might as well just leave your legalistic life or or your libertarian life and be happy while you're you, while you can here on earth because it's going to go downhill after that. No, God has welcomed him. He's accepted this person, whether he eats the pulled pork sandwich or not. So he says. In verse uh, verse four, and he asks this question, or asks, yeah, he asks this question of these these individuals, especially the weak one. He says, "Who are you? Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another?" And this servant, by the way, just happens to be a servant of God because he's talking about this in the Christian context. He's not talking about the slave, the doulos, walking around out out there. Uh, he's talking about the servant of God that's within the Christian community. Who are you to pass judgment? And I know there's all kinds of people today 
some some of them are in the Christian church, uh, many of them are not, who constantly throw around the phrase, judge not that ye be not judged. That's not what Paul is talking about here either. Because when we're talking about that kind of judgment, we're talking about judgment and hypocrisy. It's not that we can't judge at all. It's that if we're involved in it ourselves, we need to remove the log out of our eye before we go around removing the splinters out of other people's eyes. But that's not what's talking about here. These are the guys that are uh, being libertarian and or legalistic in their judgment. Oh, yeah, they're probably hypocritical in a, in a certain sense, but the, 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 the problem is that they set themselves up as the standard, the I-know-it-all type Christian. Uh, who are you to pass judgment on somebody else because he's eating a pulled pork sandwich? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. The master here is ultimately going to be God himself. Because God is the one who is going to uphold, as he says here, he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. It's almost, it kind of reminds me of uh, when Jesus was calling Peter to ministry, and then Peter brings up John. So what about that guy over there? And Peter says, mind, or Jesus tells Peter, mind your own business. I'll do with him what I want to do with him, and I'll do with you with what I want to do with you. It's none of your affair. And it's the same thing here. These individuals, you know, seeing somebody who's uh, uh, eating things that they thought were reprehensible, well, all of a sudden they come under the condemnation of the weak. And he says, wait. That's not for you to do. Who are you? You're a servant too. I've welcomed you. Who are you to pass judgment? That's not for you to do. It's the Lord is going to uphold them. It's the Lord is going to cause them to stand. It's all ultimately it's going to be the Lord who's going to cause that person to grow up. So while the Lord is causing that person to grow up, how about you grow up too? Let me do the judging. Let God be God, and you be a servant as well. And instead of condemning that person, encourage them. Or maybe just grow up on your own and say, hey, maybe that pork sandwich is not so bad because what God has called clean is no longer common. But then Paul shifts his attention here to another subject of trivial pursuit here. It goes from the dietary to the, the worship day. And we've got some of that stuff that goes on even today. People worship on Sunday. Some people worship on Saturday. Maybe they worship on Monday. Who knows? But we've got certain people that have uh, set up certain days that, you know what, if you don't worship on this day, then you're breaking the law, then you can't be a part of God. Oh, get out of here. The, the Apostle Paul is addressing the same type of problem that was taking place back there in the, in the early days of Christianity in the Roman church. One person, in verse 5 here, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. 
And in, in, in the Jewish custom, you had the Yom Kippur and uh, the Feast of Tabernacles and all of these different, the, the Sabbath day and like. You had all of these different festive days. And some were esteemed more highly or more better or more holy than others. But the, the, but the thing is, when it came to Christianity, all of that didn't matter. Jesus had pretty much wiped all of that out. And that's why Paul's going to turn around and say, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. If you want to worship on a Sunday, a Saturday, a Monday, a Tuesday, a Wednesday, whenever, be fully convinced. It's, it almost alludes back to uh, what Paul said about uh, love. Let it be without hypocrisy. You've got to be fully convinced in your own mind in an unhypocritical way that this is the day that the Lord would want you to worship. But if that's the case, fine, you're doing it unto the Lord. You're not doing it for anybody else. In fact, if you are doing it to parade yourself before others, to be seen by them in an almost pharisaical way, shame on you. Worship is not about you impressing whomever. It's about you being there to worship and esteem God with your whole being. See, that's part and parcel of what is missing in many of our churches as well. We're, we're so focused on how we, you know, we're trying to impress each other that we forget God. And so we get up and we give a half-baked sermon or sing some really crappy songs. I mean, I've heard some really pathetic songs in the name of Christianity. But and, and my main beef there is is the theology, not so much with the music. Uh, but still others, even though they're, uh, if they're giving it their best, uh, who am I, you know, to be looking down on them? And, but once again, getting back to here, what Paul's talking about these holy days, uh, uh, each one needs to be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day, in verse 6, observes it in honor of the Lord. At least he should be. Like I said, if he's not, uh, then that might be subject to uh, valid criticism. Just who are you doing this for? Because I know, like, say, uh, uh, in the Mormon church, for, for instance, uh, their whole shtick has very little to do with the Lord and has to do with Joseph Smith and how wonderful of a prophet he is. Uh, and I'm saying, you know what? That is theological heresy right there. You're not observing the day in honor of the Lord. You're observing the day in, an, uh, in the honor of, of a fallen human being, a false prophet. Paul then brings back the, the dietary uh, restriction by saying, you know, the one who eats, he eats in honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to God while the one who abstains abstains in honor of the Lord and he gives thanks to God. The object here is the Lord himself. The motive is the Lord himself. Is that our focus? Or are we too busy nitpicking, thinking we're doing God a service by condemning each other? You know, we, we get plenty of that, and I'm sure this happened back at that time as well. Uh, the, the Christian community, we get plenty of criticism from the outside world for those types of things. 
we don't need to be doing it to each other. Let the world play trivia pursuit. Let us focus on the main thing and grow up in that respect. Uh, Because I think when you grow up in the gospel and the central doctrines of Christianity and a careful study of the Word of God, the minutia, the trivia, soon goes by the wayside. But I sometimes say that the devil wants us to focus on that because it keeps us divided. We're focused on, we shouldn't go see this movie or whatever, like we talked about before, as the main thing. That's not the main thing. I've I've said before on this podcast, there are many Christians who don't even know what the gospel is, let alone can they explain what the good news is. And yet that's what we've been focusing on here this whole time. That is the main thing. Paul says in verse 7, for none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. Why? Because we live to the Lord. That's our focus Paul said, you know, that, you know, that all of the things that he was able to accomplish in the life, in his life, and so they were dung compared to, you know, the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our focus. You know, that's that's a byproduct of being set free by the gospel. If if we live that type of a life, like I said, the minutiae is not going to take us over. We're going to look at it and go, well, that's nice. Uh, That's wonderful. Lord bless you. Let's move on. And if we die, we die to the Lord. The, The whole idea here is our whole being, our whole waking day, whether we're at work or whether we're at play, whether we're at worship, is for the Lord. That's our kind of going back to what the Apostle Paul said in uh, chapter 12 about presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. It is a 24-7 ordeal. It's not something that uh, you do just on Sunday or Monday or two. It's all of the time. It should occupy your thought process continually so that you give honor and praise and sacrifice to the Lord up until the time of death. We die to the Lord. So that whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. We're not each other's. You know, yeah, sure, there's going to be people that are going to be Uh, employers and employees, and there's going to be pastors and lay people. There are going to be people that are in Christian positions that are going to be in places of authority. That's fine. But still, we belong to the Lord. We don't belong to each other. We did not give our lives to atone for the sin of others and then go to the cross to be sacrificed to die, and to be resurrected for anybody. Only Jesus Christ did that. We belong to him. Our whole livelihood belongs to him, not to someone else. And so then Paul says in verse 9, For to this end Christ died and lived again. Here Paul's giving Jesus Christ the credit. 
He's the focus here, not us. He died and he lived again. He's alive right now. And a lot of people would say, well, I, I've seen him. Well, of course you can't see him, you pinhead. He is in heaven. You know, the, the, the weird thing a lot of, with a lot of people who think in empirical terms is they're so short-sighted that it's amazing that they can chew gum and walk at the same time. It's amazing to me because they seem to think that the whole of life is, is, is centered on them, that if you can't see it, taste it, touch it, feel it, smell it, so on, it just can't be true. Well, that doesn't take into account the things that you can't see that are real. You know, it, it just amazes me sometimes. We, I mean, when it comes to uh, death and life and the resurrection of the Lord, uh, those are things that, once again, the Apostle Paul has talked about being by faith, and faith not in your five senses, but in what God has revealed. Uh, otherwise, you're talking about objectivity versus subjectivity. We can't we don't necessarily get into that. You know, totally here, but it's not the person versus, well, it is the person versus God. You're either going to see it God's way, God's worldview, or the person's worldview. I said before, whether your theology or philosophy, uh, if you're going to delve into either one, or they're going to have one or two starting points. They're going to be in God or they're going to be in man. And in this case here, when it, when it comes to this end, uh, the whole Meaning and object of the Christian life is Christ. It is death, burial, and resurrection. That he might be both the Lord of the dead and of the living. And, you know, dead here, I think Paul is talking about those who have died in Christ that are in heaven today. Because he also uses the word dead elsewhere in the sense of being spiritually dead. Dead in your trespasses and sins. But not in this particular context. Jesus Christ is the Lord, the, the head, the one that all will uh, pay obeisance to one day, especially the Christian. Those that have gone on, whether it's our friends or our family or our acquaintances that were in Christ, they're dead physically, but alive unto Christ today and in his presence. And of the living, the living here on earth that Paul is talking about, whether in the uh, the Roman church or those that were part of his uh, missionary endeavors. Those persons today that you go to church with, those of the living, living in the sense that they are redeemed by Christ. The Lord is the Lord of both. And in that being the case, once again, all of these judgments that that these legalistic or antinomian Christians are passing on each other needs to stop. It's the same type of thing that needs to take place today. But we need, we also need to be very careful in the respect that we don't become antinomian ourselves or legalist. There's got to be a balanced uh, effort here to live the Christian life because I've said before, some Christians like to think that, well, you know, the uh, we're living under grace now. Law is no longer applicable. And that is ridiculous. That's nonsense. We still need to live uh, moral lives as guided by the law. Not to be saved, but to be holy. That's what help 
people in the, in their morals. You know, when it, when it when it comes to understanding the holiness of God, He's given the law to live by. On the other hand, we can't be so stringent that we started adding things to the law that God never intended, like wearing pants and going to movies and playing cards and drinking alcohol and all of that kind of stuff. There needs to be a balanced approach to the Christian life. We don't need to be adding to the law. We don't need to be detracting from it. Jesus made it clear that those who did, it'd be better that they uh, had a millstone wrapped around their, their neck and thrown into the sea. Uh, because then we're going to end up leading people astray. So there needs to be a balanced approach. So the Apostle Paul then says in verse 10, referring to what he just asked here a second ago, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? He's talking about the weak in the first one and the so-called strong in the second one. The weak were passing judgment, and those that were more... Mature or despising their brother. And I pointed this out before when Paul uses this term brother, he's talking about those that are brothers and sisters in faith, in Christ, those that have been redeemed. It's an affectionate term. It's something that we don't need to be uh, uh, using in a haphazard way. It's something of, of a term of endearment. It's something we should be uh, using in a way where it's like, uh, I want to encourage this person. I want to trample on them. Uh, I want to welcome them, accept them. All the things that Paul has been talking about up to this point. Why are you doing this? We're all going to stand before the judgment seat of God. Now, I want to say something about this because I've been asked about this before. Does this mean that there's the potential that you're going to lose your salvation because, you see, you know, there are going to be people out there passing judgment. They're going to be out there despising and so on and so forth. Is God going to hold that against Christians to the point where they can lose their salvation? Oh, they have been wonderful in so many ways. They believed in Jesus. They exercised their faith. They were always at the picnic or they were at the Christmas dinner. Uh, they played on the church basketball team. Uh, they did all kinds of wonderful things, handed out cookies or whatever, went sang Christmas carols. Uh, they ushered. They were deacons and so on. They were Sunday school teachers. They, they were the whole package. But they passed judgment on their own brethren, or they despised certain ones that they considered to be lowlifes in the church. You go sit in the corner. Will that be held against them at the judgment seat of God? Well, let me say, when Paul is talking about the judgment seat of God here, he's not talking about the great white throne judgment. When Paul talks about this uh, judgment seat of God, he also makes mention of it. Real quick, over in, uh, let's see here. Is it 1 Corinthians chapter 10? I believe it's 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Let me see here. Hang on a second. Uh, let me see here. Ah, I know I've got it here. Let me go a second here. 
It is, yeah, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, not chapter 10, chapter 5 and verse 10. Here we go. I knew I had it here. Uh, let me flip over here real quick. Uh, yeah, Paul flipping pages. Yes, here we go. Uh, <clears throat> Paul says in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, in reference to what Paul's talking about in Romans 14, 10, uh, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. This is a reward seat. This is a place where the wood, hay, and stubble that Jesus would talk about is going to be burned up. The things that are of value, the things of uh, gold and silver and, and precious stones uh, that are not going to be burned up will remain. Those things that were worthless, those things like passing judgment or despising your brother are going to be torched. <laughs> they're going to be done away with. But they're not going to be held against the person in a salvific way. A person whom God has welcomed before the foundation of the world has accepted, has foreordained those things that the Apostle Paul had talked about over in Romans chapter 8, the things that uh, dealing with, uh, he says, predestination and calling and justification and, and glorification, all of those things have already been settled. The only thing that has not been settled is what we have done in this life with our salvation, our gifts, our calling in life. What did we do? Uh, did we despise our brothers? Did we judge them in an in a uh, in unjust way? Did we uh, do other things that were contrary to what it means to be a Christian? Those things are going to be torched. Uh, that said, when you turn to the book of Revelation, there's another throne where people are going to be gathered, and it's for the. Uh, for the dead. Uh, remember I said here a second ago that that the, the Bible uses the word dead in different connotations uh, in, in different contexts? Well, when you turn to the book of Revelation and in verse 11, there's a great white throne where a whole bunch of dead people are going to be showing up. They're spiritually dead. They're the vessels of dishonor that Paul talked about over in Romans chapter 9. And it says, I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it from the presence or from his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, uh, great and small, standing over the throne and the books were open and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. These people are not saved. These people are dead. They're not regenerate. They're spiritually lost. They're the unregenerate. They're the persons who hate God that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 1. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Sea typically meaning the, the world. Uh, death and Hades gave up, uh, up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. And then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. These are not Christians. 
These are those persons who are the unregenerate. These are the ones that went the broad road of destruction that Jesus talked about over in, uh, I believe it is Matthew chapter 7. So when it comes to standing before this judgment seat of God that Paul's talking about here in Romans chapter 10, this is not about salvation. This is about what you did as a Christian in this life and in this particular context and how you treated a Christian brother. Did you pass judgment on them? Then you may rest assured that you're going to receive your reward for that. <laughs> a slap upside the head. Or did you despise your brother? Did you become a, uh, a legalist in reverse or maybe a legalist at all? And passing judgment, well, you can bet that your legalism will return to you. You'll be judged accordingly. Uh, everyone. And no one is going to escape because this is everyone. All will stand before the judgment seat, and you're going to give an account of yourself, an explanation. Now, I don't know about you. I think I'm going to probably be petrified. <laughs> uh, I think the, the glory of the Lord will... Probably, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe not petrified. I think God will show his grace and his mercy at the time. But I think a lot of people are going to get have a hard time giving an account of themselves, an explanation. Uh, because some people just mean a nasty period. <laughs> Even after being Christians, they never grow up, and they just remain in their kind of, uh, I don't know, obstinate way. And they just have a difficult time expressing love to anybody else. The Apostle Paul says in verse 11, It is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. Uh, there, a lot, of, a lot of lost people don't want to hear that, but that's going to apply to everybody at one point. They're going to bow the knee. They're going to acknowledge who God is. They're going to confess that he's real. They're going to be in agreement that he is righteous and true and just and holy, and they're going to bite their, their tongue doing it. Others won't have that problem. They have acknowledged who God is and who is the author and finisher of their faith, and they're not going to have a problem. Now, once again, that doesn't mean that the moment is probably not going to be timid. Let's not take the humanity out of this. Uh, but you're going to have two polar opposite ends of the scale when it comes to human fear taking place here. Uh, fear out of reverential respect, fear out of where the person is going to be going uh, shortly after judgment is passed. Uh, because I think a lot of these people, even though you oftentimes hear people say, well, so-and-so in that country never had a chance. I read that to you the other day. They didn't have a chance to hear the gospel. What's going to happen to them? Uh, I don't believe that God is going to leave anybody without some kind of witness. In fact, I know that to be true because I've explained before, God has revealed himself in nature. He's also revealed himself in, uh, you know, in the person of Jesus. He's revealed himself in Christian. So there's a general revelation of God's existence all throughout the cosmos. So people are going to be without excuse. A lot of I think a lot of these people that make up excuses have not read the Bible, and they're going to be in for a big surprise one day. 
that be the case uh, when it comes to their timidity, uh, they're going to be petrified. They will be petrified. They know what's coming. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, Paul had alluded to this you know, earlier on. Uh, when it comes to God's judgment. They know God's judgment is coming. They're suppressing that truth. That being the case, that will not you know, prohibit God from going ahead and sending those persons straight to hell. The last thing that Paul has to say, though, is by way of encouragement. Uh, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God, uh, something to... Uh, you remember, and I think Paul is trying to encourage the Christians there in Rome to remember this, you don't have to be passing judgment on your brother or your sister. God is going to do that, and he's going to do it justly. Go live your life in a sacrificial way before the Lord. That is to be your object in life. Uh, overcome good Overcome the good. (laughs) Overcome evil with what is good and reserve the judgment for somebody who is a legitimate judge. We're not. Uh, Like I said, that doesn't mean we can't judge morals according to what God has revealed. And if we're doing that, that is ultimately God doing the judging. Uh, I like. I like once again, people say, Judge, let me not judge. And all you're doing is quoting to them the Bible. I'm not telling anybody anything that's any different than what God has already said. In fact, I'm doing them a favor by even reminding them of what God has said. So there's a big difference in that respect. And, you know, if you run into somebody that's like that, just share that with them. I'm not the judge. You're right. But God is. And God has not left us without a witness as to certain kinds of behavior. And if you're not engaged in it, as so many people, like I said, they like to refer to uh, Matthew chapter 7 and verse 1 and leave out the rest of the context. If you're not involved in their immorality, then you have every right, according to what God has revealed, to reveal that to them for their good, so that maybe God and his, his mercy and his grace might convict them and draw them out of their immorality and or wickedness and become Christians themselves. Well, there's our jingling. We've made it through Romans chapter 14, verses 1 to 13. Don't play trivial pursuit as a Christian with another Christian's life. You'll be doing yourself a favor as well as them. Just focus on what is the main thing, which is the gospel. Once again, you'll be doing them a favor as well. If you have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. You can write me at podcast at capro, C-A-P-R-O dot info, and I'll get back to you as soon as I possibly can. Uh, Some might have wondered what happened to all the podcasts. Well, they've been moved over and archived over on Apple Podcasts. So if you want them, go over there. Uh, uh, You'll be able to listen to the live ones here at least for uh, a little while, and I just move them over there. Uh, Until next time, I hope you have a great weekend. It's going to be busy for me. Got to do a lot of traveling. 
Uh, I pray, uh, I hope that you'll give me some, uh, uh, take some time to pray for my travel mercies. Uh, Until then, you take care. The Lord bless you.